We want to attend to God's word. Uh, so in just a moment, I'll invite uh, Ryan up and he'll uh, just share about the text that we're going to be reading. Um, after that, I'll come up and begin reading for us from Genesis. And then Sarah Rutman will read for us from Isaiah 66, Ryan Hughes from Habakkuk, and Brian Morse from Revelation 5. Uh, so Ryan, if you want to come up and say a word about these texts and pray for us. So these texts I uh, picked to kind of just show the uh, overarching storyline of Scripture. So in Genesis, the, the verse, uh, pr- God promises that all the families of the earth will be blessed in Abraham. Um, and then in Isaiah, it talks about how God will take um, people from every tribe and, and, and language and, and even the furthest areas of the world. So there's a lot of um, countries in there that we've never heard of, but it's talking about how God's going to take from every country of the world and make a priesthood of believers. And he will take from those countries, those Gentile nations, and make them Levites before him to serve him. And then there's a promise um, in Habakkuk that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And then Revelation 5 is part of our sermon text. Uh, Our sermon text this morning is going to be both Revelation chapter 4 and 5, which is about God's glory in creation and then in redemption. And part of that is redeeming people um, from every area of the world so that the promise to Abraham might be fulfilled. Father, we do pray that you would come and fill us with your spirit. Open the eyes of our hearts to see wonderful things from your law, Lord God, from your word. We pray even as we uh, read these scriptures that you would be working in our hearts. Show us, God, that, that you promised to Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed, that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And, and God, I pray that you would well up gratitude in our hearts that you have blessed us in Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. I pray that you would give us a sense of your glory and your majesty as we read the text and, and listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isaiah 66, verse 18 through 21. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tabal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. 
Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Revelation 5, 5-14 And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. <clears throat> Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he can open the scroll in its seven seals. And behold, the throne and the four living creatures among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of the of him who was seated at the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Okay, so just a a little bit of background on us. Uh, We spent the, the the first four of our years of our missionary experience in Mongolia... Uh, so we went in 2015 to Mongolia, and we're there until 2019. And um, I'm going to tell a, a quick story about my time there, and then we're going to uh, launch into Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And so while I was in Mongolia, I was in this region. There's a country that's very repressive, and so I was going to a, an area that uh, was it had a lot of suppression, a little bit of persecution even, and um, I was going to check out to see, okay, what's the need here? What's, what's needed most of all in this area? Is it resources? Is it a church plant? What is it? And so while I was in this area, um, I was pretty shocked at what I found. Um, so I went there to see how I could resource this area that has a lot of repression, um, that's considered unreached, and I found something there that that really shocked me. So as I went there, um, I was I met with a contact there who was a Christian and just wanted to to learn more from her about the Christianity in the region. And so she asked me, "Would you teach a, an English class?" And so I said, "Sure." And so as I was going to teach this English class, we were walking down the side of the road, and uh, a car pulls up next to us. And the driver tells me to get in the car. And so I said, okay. Um, and I look at my friend, and, and she says, yeah, get in the car. 
And so I, I get in the car, and it takes me a couple minutes to figure out what's going on, but the, the English class was actually a cover for a secret church. So a secret church was meeting in this area, and they'd asked me to teach this, this English class to get me into the car. So now I was in the car trying to figure out what's going on, um, and they're starting to drive me up into the mountains. And so, okay, this is a secret church. I'm not being arrested or anything. Um, and unlike Rob, who has been arrested, you should get him uh, to tell you that story if he hasn't. Um, but I was being taken to this secret church in the middle of the mountains, and it was an amazing experience. So in this, in this region that is supposedly unreached um, and has almost no churches, I was being taken to the mountains to worship the Lord. And so we got into the forest, and we got out. There was a congregation there, and, and we sang psalms together. And um, it, was, it was incredible. One of my top five worship experiences, just seeing the greatness of God in this area where there wasn't supposed to be Christians. Um, and so then we got to the sermon time, and the pastor sits down, and he starts preaching his sermon. Um, the congregation sits, and... Um, but I, I begin to realize, okay, he's not preaching to his congregation. He's preaching to me. Um, and so he was preaching to me through a translator. And, so, and he walked me through the story of the Bible and, and proclaimed the gospel to me, proclaimed Jesus' death and resurrection to me. So the missionary goes to this area uh, to, to do some reconnaissance on what the need is here, and he has the gospel preached to him. It's a pretty amazing story. And that's shocking. How does that happen? How does it happen that uh, the gospel is being preached in areas that, that we have no idea that there's a gospel presence at all? How does that happen? So that's the question we're going we're gonna to think about, we're going to look at this morning in, in our text. But I want to step back and just be amazed, help us be amazed that the gospel has reached us. Right? I'm from the, the boonies of New Mexico. You can't get much further off the beaten path than where I grew up. Uh, dirt roads, still almost no cell phone service, and yet the gospel reached me, uh, a New Mexican in New Mexico. But it's also amazing that the gospel has reached you here. And that's a miracle that you are sitting here worshiping the Jewish Messiah, who is also the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's amazing. Be amazed afresh that you are a Christian, that you are a believer. I often joke that um, if, if the apostles, if the disciples had seen you and seen Mongolians or, or seen Liberians, the strangest of the three would be you Americans, what, what is this thing that they're looking at all the time? Why are they walking around with their heads like this? Like you, we would be the strangest, right? But the gospel has reached even us. It's even reached us Americans. So be amazed this morning at that fact. So the big idea that we're going to look at this morning is found in Revelation 5.9. By the blood of the Lamb, God ransomed people from every tribe, language, and people and nation, and made them a kingdom of priests for our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So the big idea we're going to see from Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is that God has 
created the world for his glory. He's created the world for his glory and his praise, but he's also redeemed the broken world for his glory and for his praise, and that reaches every nation of the earth, every tribe of the earth, every people of the earth. It even reaches us here in Pittsburgh and to the farthest reaches of the world. So that's the big idea and where we're going this morning. And ultimately, the reason I'm speaking on this is because missions is about worship. Missions is about the glory of God. Why we went to Mongolia was for the praise of God's glory in the country of Mongolia. And why we're going to Liberia is for the praise of God's glory in Liberia. And why you are sitting here is for the praise of God's glory in Pittsburgh. That's why we're here, to praise the glory of God. And we're going to look at God's glory, particularly in Revelation 4 and 5. But before I do that, I want to share a text that that completely transformed my view of missions. It turned it, it on its head. I have always thought I would be a missionary ever since I was eight years old. And, and for me, it was a lot of desire for adventure. I kind of wanted to be like Indiana Jones, right? I, I saw myself with the hat uh, going out to these regions and maybe do some archaeological digs as I tell people about Jesus. Um, but I read this text and it transformed how I view missions. And this was from John Piper in Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. He goes on to say that worship is the fuel of missions and it's the goal of missions. So what we're, what we're trying to do in missions is to tell the nations, be glad in God. Hear the word that, uh, the good news of the gospel. Hear the gospel and glorify the Lord God. So that's, that's the goal in missions, but it's also the fuel in missions. It's, it's what keeps us going to hard places. It's what keeps us going in gospel ministry. It's what keeps you coming to church. The worship and the glory of God is what keeps you coming to church and being a faithful, a faithful witness here in Pittsburgh. The worship of God. And, and once we get a glimpse of God's glory, it transforms every aspect of our life. You're not, you don't simply come to church to worship. You let that worship and that that vision of who God is transform your everyday life. And it spills out into evangelism. It spills out into service. It spills out to living in the gospel community with one another, and it transforms everything about your life. The same for missions. When we get a glimpse of God's glory... That's what inspires missions. It inspires people to go to difficult places, and it inspires people to give so that people can go to difficult places. So it all comes back to the glory of God. The glory of God 
that he's presented in Scripture, and that's supposed to transform our lives and be the goal of everything that we do and also the fuel of everything that we do. do. John Piper went on to say, where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. That's, that's a kind of an indictment against us, right? Where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. And we have to check ourselves. Is my passion for God calibrated with who he is? Do I have a passion for God and for his glory? And one of the indicators for that is how we live our lives now and if we are sending people to difficult places. If we are, if we are meeting God and seeing him for who he is, it will transform our lives now and will make radical sacrifices for the sake of the lost in Pittsburgh and for the sake of the lost to the ends of the earth. So what my goal this morning is, is to help us get a glimpse, by God's grace, of his glory from these two chapters. I'm going to grab my phone so I don't go for three hours. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three scenes from Revelation chapter 4 and 5. So three scenes that tell us about God's glory in both creation and then in redemption. So the first scene, turn with me to Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open into heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what soon must take place after this. So John, he, he looks and it says, behold, he sees a door standing open into heaven. So John is inviting us to see what he sees. He's inviting us to go into that door with him. And God has given him this revelation so that he will write it down so that we here would, would get a glimpse into the heavenly realm. So John sees this door, and he enters into it, and he says, The first voice spoke to me, saying, Come up here and see the things that must soon take place after this. Revelation is a a difficult book. It's um, shrouded with a lot of controversy and symbolism, and um, it's just a harder book. But at the base, the, the message of Revelation is crystal clear. It's about the glory of God in Jesus Christ and how he will deal with evil, how he will solve the problem of evil and solve our sin and bring us into glory and wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's what the message of Revelation is. And the main piece of that is the glory of God in Jesus Christ and revealing that glory to us. So that's what... That's what's being revealed to John. The glory of God is being revealed to John here. And so it says, the first voice invited me to see, uh, invited John to see into into the heavenly realms. And that first voice is the voice of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, it talks about how John has been put on Patmos. He's been exiled to Patmos for preaching the gospel. 
He's under severe persecution. And yet as he was in exile, as he was put away, he was praying in the spirit. And on the Lord's day, he hears a voice behind him, a voice like a trumpet. And he turns and he sees this voice. He sees when he turns the resurrected Lord Jesus. The hope of our heart, he sees it. He sees him. He sees Jesus. It says his eyes were like blazing fires. Out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. He had a golden sash around his chest. His face and clothes were shining like the sun. In his hands, he held the keys to death in Hades, and in his other hands, he held seven stars. This is the king of glory. This Jesus Christ is the one that John sees and spoke to him. And and John says in in Revelation chapter 1 that the voice of Jesus is like many rushing waters. So it's like the sound of Niagara Falls or the biggest waterfall that you've seen. That voice is saying, come up here and see what's taking place in heaven. And so what John does in this first scene is he describes the worship of the king. He describes the worship of the throne. And and due to creation, uh, the worship that creation gives God. So let's look at that in in Revelation chapter 4, going on from verse 2. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24, elder, were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So John invites us to see the throne room of heaven. And we can't uh, underestimate what's going on here. John sees, and he's inviting us to, through the eyes of faith, see, see what he is seeing. He sees the throne of God. That is 
the longing of all the Old Testament saints. So Moses cries out, God, show me your glory. But Moses is only given a little glimpse of God's glory. He's, he's allowed to see the backside while he's, while he's covered, and he's only allowed to see a small glimpse of God's glory. David himself said in the Psalms, the one thing that I have asked from the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, God, do I seek. So that's the that's the cry of the heart of the Old Testament saints. And I want to ask you, is that your cry? Is that the cry of your heart? Lord, show me your glory. Is, Is that what your deepest longing is for? Do you desire to see God in all his beauty and majesty? Is it the one thing you seek and the one thing that you ask from God to see his beauty, to see his glory? That should be our desire. It's it's why we were made. It's it's the reason we were created, to see the face of God, to, to know him and to love him, to walk with him in fellowship and communion forever. That's why we were created. That's why this should be the deepest longing of our heart. So John describes what he sees. He says he sees the throne of God and the one who sat on it, God himself, was like jasper and carnelian. Now that, to us, doesn't mean too much, right? Jasper and carnelian. Okay, thanks, John. That's a great description. But what John is doing is he's He's stumbling over words to describe the one he sees. Jasper and carnelian, these precious stones, John is saying this is a radiant glory of the Lord. It's what he sees. But he's very basic in his description, and he goes on to describe in great detail what he sees around the throne. He sees the rainbow that symbolizes God's covenant with his people. It symbolizes God's mercy to his people. He sees the lightning and the thunder. And here's the thunder, and that that symbolizes God's judgment over the nations. He sees the 24 elders who I believe symbolize the, the full church of God, the whole church of God. We are symbolized there by these 24 elders. The church is symbolized by these elders, and they are worshiping God. He sees these four living creatures. These four living creatures that are offering praise to God, and every day saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. I believe these creatures symbolize creation. All of creation is singing this song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But the question is, why doesn't doesn't John describe more the one who's seated on the throne? Why doesn't he describe him? I believe he'll give a a clearer description of God and his glory in chapter 5. But to start, I want to compare this to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord. He's given this vision. You've been going through Isaiah. You've seen this text. 
Isaiah goes in and he sees the glory of the Lord. But you know Isaiah pays attention to the hem of his garments, the thresholds of the temple, and these angelic beings that are, that are praising God. He doesn't focus on the one who's on the throne. At least he doesn't give the description of him. He also focuses on him and his own presence, how he has no right to be there. He has no right to be in the presence of this holiness. So Isaiah does the exact same thing John does. Isaiah looks on the glory of the, of the Lord and diverts his gaze immediately. If you can think of an analogy, it'd be like the sun, right? If you were asked, go describe the sun to me. And you go outside, you look at the sun, you gaze at the sun, and pretty quickly your eyes have to divert. You, you look down to the clouds, you look to the trees, you look to the ground, because your, faith, your eyes can't gaze on that blazing ball of fire. How much more so for the God of the universe, the God who created that sun and created all the suns in the galaxy by the word of his power? How much more is his glory than the brilliance of the sun? So John diverts his gaze. He diverts his gaze to around the throne. What's going on around the throne? And the amazing thing is, brothers and sisters, is The church is there. The church is represented there in these elders. And creation is represented there. Brothers and sisters, even now, in our existence, right now, we get a glimpse of the throne room of God. We don't see God in his glory, but we can see him through the eyes of faith. We, we ourselves, when we worship God, when we praise him, we are, we are Worshiping at the foot of God. All of creation is praising God. And that's the, sim- the symbolism of these angels. All of creation, all animals, all, all plant life, everything, all mountains are praising God. And we, the church, are giving voice to those praises. So what's going on here in Revelation chapter 4 is a symbol, the symbol of God in his throne room and all of created reality around God praising him. And that's amazing. Brothers and sisters, enjoy creation. Enjoy the praise that creation offers to God. I grew up in New Mexico and I love the mountains of New Mexico. Those mountains praise God. As I flew into to Pittsburgh and saw the rolling hills and the, the patches of green, the, those hills, those forests in Pennsylvania, the mountains of Pennsylvania, they praise God. But you, church, you give voice to that praise. So take your praise seriously. You've been given a holy calling to praise God the creator of the universe. And so we say, with all of creation, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. But we know the world is broken, right? We don't see it with our eyes yet. We know that sin has taken a toll on this world. It's it's rendered it into chaos. It's put it into futility. 
We know suffering. We know pain. We know sin. So in our next scene, we get introduced to, to the, the lament that John gives in, in, in Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 1, scene 2. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because there was none found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. So this first, this first scene, sorry, I, I broke to the, <laughs> to the comfort, but first I want us to feel the lament in, in verses one to, one to four. So we, we all know this, this pain, this, this lament that John has. This scroll, so what is this scroll? I believe this scroll with its seven seals is sealed up. It's the, the God's plan for judgment and salvation on the earth. How will God bring creation into its purpose, into its, into, to fulfill its purpose? How will creation praise God unhindered, without chaos, without sin? How will this, this world look like that scene that we describe in Revelation chapter 4. John sees this scroll, and that's the, the plan of God for judgment and salvation on the earth. And these angels are crying out, Who on earth is worthy to open the seals? And none is found worthy. No one is worthy to open this scroll. And so John weeps. He feels this deep brokenness. What John is confronted with is deep despair. He sees a world where salvation isn't realized. No one can open the scroll. No one can save the world. No one can redeem the world. The world that, that John sees, the, the cancer doesn't ever stop. The pandemic doesn't ever stop. My sin doesn't ever stop. So he weeps. He's broken. I had a friend who passed away a few years ago, and he was a, a dear high school friend, and one of his last things that he did, he, was, he died from cancer, one of the last things he did was his family was there singing over him, joy to the world. And in that song, it talks about how the blessings of God will flow to all creation as far as the curse is found. And so the, one of the last things my friend did was he sang part of that song. He, 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 was, in, he was sleeping, getting, away to, getting ready to pass away, and he woke up for a moment and sang a few lines and then fell back asleep, and it was the last thing he did. What John sees here is if no one can open the scroll, 
that's a deep tragedy because there's no hope. There's no hope for those who pass away. There's no hope for my friend. There's no hope for those who are lost. There's no hope for brokenness. So John sees that and he laments, he grieves, and he starts to weep. Because John, the last apostle, he's seen, as far as we know, all the other apostles be killed and martyred for their faith. And if that scroll doesn't get opened, those people died in vain. But comfort comes, right? Comfort comes. And what I want to remind you of this morning, no matter what discouragement you're facing, no matter what despair you're facing, there's hope, right? And let's hear it from the voice of this elder in in chapter 5, verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So the elder comes to us and says, weep no more. So this is the start of scene three. Scene three is the redemption of the world. There's no more reason to weep. So let's read the rest of this scene and, and be, and, in verse six. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures with the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you've made them a kingdom of priests and and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. So in this scene, the third scene that we're going to look at, it's the climactic scene. The scroll is open. Jesus Christ himself opened the scrolls on the, on, opened the scroll and broke the seals. So just feel that, feel that joy that, that, Je- that when Jesus goes to the throne and takes the scroll. So there's been this scene of lament and brokenness. Lament and brokenness and having no hope and despair. But now we are told to weep no more because Jesus Christ, 
the lamb who was slain goes to the throne and takes the scroll. Now the judgments and salvation of God can be realized. Creation can be redeemed. You and I can be redeemed. Our sin can be dealt with. So Jesus takes the scroll. But notice that the elder points John and he points us to the lion who has conquered. The lion who has conquered. The root of David. But John looks and he sees a lamb who was slain. What this symbolism in Revelation is showing us is that the judgment and salvation of God was realized through Jesus Christ and he is the conquering lion by becoming the lamb who was slain. There's deep sin in all of us. There's, there's deep brokenness in all of us. There's a deep, and if the last two years have, have revealed anything, is that our world is broken and we are broken. And we need a savior. We need a conquering lion. We need the lamb who was slain. So Jesus was the lamb who was slain. He was the one who dealt with our sin. Though we stood before him guilty, before the throne of God guilty, like Isaiah, and said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I am, a, I am an unclean man. When we go into that throne room, that is our response. But Jesus, by being the lamb who was slain, he dealt with our sin. He dealt with our brokenness. And now he will redeem the earth. And he will redeem people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. It's in response to the cross work of Christ. His work on the cross that Everyone sings, that the elders sing, that all the people of God sing. And as a result of his death on the cross, they sing this song in in verse 9. Worthy are you, Lord Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. So in his work, see what he has done. He's ransomed from people for God, from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. So in Jesus' death, he purchased people. He purchased you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he purchased you. If you are one of his, he redeemed you. He redeemed people who the curse of God was over, who had, who had sin in their lives. The curse was found throughout the world. Death covered the entire world. But now Jesus, through his cross work, has purchased people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation who dealt with death, who dealt with that curse. So it reaches people in Mongolia. It reached my brother Dawa and my brother Lauga, who, who gave themselves to alcohol, ruined their families, drinking vodka. But then they saw the slain lamb. They received Jesus Christ. They believed in the word of the gospel and their lives were were transformed. It, it transformed Bina, who from 8 to 20 had this curse placed over her. 
that she wasn't allowed to go outside without other people. But she believed in Jesus Christ, and she saw that Jesus Christ is stronger than all the curses. And she was able to go outside. So the blood of Jesus Christ purchased Mongolians. It purchased Diona, who as a refugee in Ghana during the Civil War in Liberia, heard of Jesus and and believed in this lamb who was slain. Jesus Christ ransomed us. He ransomed people from Pittsburgh, from Mongolia, from China, even from New Mexico. So the the answer to the question that I, I started with how, how does that happen? How does a secret church get established in a region of the world that, has, that, that, as far as we know, has no Christian presence? The way that happens is that Jesus Christ purchased people from every tribe, language, people, and tongue. He purchased them. He purchased them, and he made them, notice, a kingdom of priests. He made you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and you will reign with him on the earth. Revelation 5, verse 10. He made you a kingdom of priests, and you will reign with him on the earth. Brothers and sisters, think about how amazing that is. Sometimes in America, we start to think that we are the people of God, that we are the chosen people, but we are not. We are Gentiles, right? We're not Jewish by by birth. But the grace of God has found us, even Americans, and made us priests of God. You are a priest in his kingdom. And you, you, if you continue until the end, Jesus promises in Revelation 3, verse 21, the one who conquers will sit with me on my throne. That's an incredible promise, mind-blowing, blasphemy even, if it's not written in the scriptures. But you will reign with him on the earth, and right now you are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, along with brothers and sisters from every area of the world who see God's glory and respond to him and and see the beauty and brilliance of the lamb and, and fall at his knees and say, worthy are you, Lord Jesus, to take the scroll. So our lives as priests with our brothers and sisters around the nations is to say, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forevermore. So we say that from our hearts as priests in God's kingdom. I want to make a final connection with how the slain Lamb ransomed people from every tribe, language, people, and tongue, and how a church exists in a repressive country, in an unreached area? How does that happen? What's the connecting point? Because yes, Jesus purchased people from every tribe, tongue, and language, but at the same time, we also know that God establishes means to get to that end. God establishes a way for 
people to hear about him. For the nations to become a part of this priesthood of believers. And the way that God has done that is by sending his people. Sending his priesthood of believers. Sending you out into every area of the world. So that you are a gospel light here in Pittsburgh. But you also know there are areas of the world that don't have a gospel presence right now. So you send people to areas of the world that have no gospel presence or, like in Liberia, have lost the gospel light, have turned to false teaching. The the connection between Jesus purchasing people from every nation and and every family of the world worshiping around the throne, worshiping the Lamb, Lamb, is by us going and by us sending. And that's part of the work of the priesthood of believers, to go and to send and to announce to all creation that the Lamb is worthy. Brothers and sisters, we serve a marvelous God. People in Pittsburgh should hear about that God. And people at the ends of the earth that have no access, that don't have that don't have churches like this one need to hear the good news of the gospel so that we all come before Jesus and worship him as the worthy lamb who was slain. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you. We praise you for your work of redemption in and through Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord God, for solving our brokenness for solving our sin. We were alienated from you. We, we hated you. We hated the things of God, and yet you purchased us by your blood and gave us the new birth and called us into your marvelous light out of the kingdom of darkness. God, we, we long for the day when all of creation will in an unhindered way praise your majesty and praise your grace. As we saw in Revelation chapter 4, we long for that day when all of creation will sing holy, holy, holy. And that the the work of the the curse, the the chaos in the world will be undone. We long for that day. So we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until you come, Lord God, or until you call us home to be with you, would you make us faithful? Would you make us faithful here in Pittsburgh And would you make us faithful in sending out missionaries? Would you make uh, my family faithful in going? God, we need your grace and your help. In Jesus' name, amen.